I'd just like to uh, invite um, the guy who's going to be preaching today, Simon Moldsley. If you'd just like to come up and we'll just have a quick introduction to you. As soon as you've come up, half of them left. Um, <laughs> I always have that. <laughs> so I'd just like to give you a quick look at your background. Um, where do you come from? Are you from Rotherham? Are you from Gibraltar? Yeah. Where are you from? <laughs> well, at the moment, I live in Stoke-on-Trent. I've been there for 13 years, but I am a Brummie by trade, uh, Birmingham. Bro. So not too far. No, not bad. No, yeah, not far. Um, I don't know why I said you brought it, but anyway. Um, so uh, rather than me do a blah blah blah, it'd be far more interesting um, for you to answer my favourite question: is how and why did you become a Christian? Because you could have. There's many things you could have done. You know, some people like to go to church, some people like to go and get drunk. Why did you and how become a Christian? Okay. Well. Let's do the how bit first. Um, before I became a Christian, I was very anti-Christian. I, I, uh, I think I suppose I started drinking when I was about 13 uh, at the office with my mates. And um, that sort of carried on for a while. I, I went to a good school, I went to a grammar school. And uh, <coughs> I was relatively intelligent. You wouldn't know looking at me. It does look like it came from a monkey, even though I don't believe in that. And <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, but when I was about 13, I decided I didn't really want to work at school. I didn't, hard work wasn't for me at the time. I didn't want to do well at school. So I got in with some of the lads who weren't interested in work, just dossing about and everything. And uh, we started drinking, we were getting into, at the time, heavy rock music, you know, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, all that sort of stuff. Some of you are nodding, some of you probably haven't got a clue who they are. But um, anyway, and then I got an interest in that. Amazingly, I started to grow my hair long, and uh, it was pretty long, just slightly less long than Jane's. Uh, but it was about that wide as well. So, <laughs> and um, anyway... Uh, and so I got in with those lads and we decided we didn't want to do any work and so basically we started doing the absolute opposite. So we hung around the offy and uh, we did that regularly and uh, I think my first drink was, um, they have Alka Pops now, which, but they didn't have Alka Pops then, so we had um, Sweet Cider Autumn Gold and that, that like, was like alcoholic apple juice so it's quite nice to taste. Uh, and then it soon went on to the special brew, I don't know whether they still have that now, very, very strong lager. And then when I was about 17, I started to realise I had a bit of a problem with booze. And uh, all my mates had left in, in year 11, I think that's right. And then um, I was forced to go on to the sixth form. Mum and Dad forced me to go there. Within about two months, I dropped out. And what happened is all my mates had left in year 11, and I was going out with them to the pub. I didn't have much money because... Um, uh, they were working and I wasn't. <coughs> I was window cleaning on the weekends, but, but uh, that wasn't usually enough to keep, keep up the drinking. So I, 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 trashed, I trashed school in and I got a job in an operating theatre. And uh, I saw bones being cut and uh, all sorts of gory sights. And at first I didn't really like it, but it was money. And uh, so I, I stuck it out. And uh, I remember I was a bit queasy to begin with. Uh, but after about a week, I was so determined to stick in the job so I could have money to spend on the booze that um, I managed to overcome it. And what I'm going to say later is actually that if you face fear head on, I had a fear of the sight of blood, if you keep facing that fear, eventually 
you don't become afraid of it. And that's what happened after about a week. I was no longer afraid of the sight of blood and now I can see or watch anything uh, and eat my dinner at the same time and enjoy it. But um, anyway, point is, uh, when I got into hospital, I started to move in the circles of friends. There was a lot of heavy drinkers there, but some of them were into drugs. And uh, I always wanted to push the boundaries. That was my problem. Always wanted to go further than everybody else. So when I drank, I'd always have to be the one that risked my life or was, did the outrageous things. And uh, God saved me many times from killing myself. Uh, and, uh, <coughs> and the same with the drugs. I always wanted to push it higher. So the booze was good, but it wasn't, if there was something else that was better, I'd have a go at that and so on. So I started to get into with another circle of friends then. We started nicking drugs from the hospital. Uh, and uh, I remember I stole the wrong drug once. I thought it was the right drug to get me high, but uh, I stole the wrong one and I injected it and um, it uh, gave me and my brother a nightmare. Uh, and we couldn't get off it for ten hours. Uh, and uh, that really sort of made me think, but not think too deeply. So rather than injecting after that, I just... Uh, you might hear when you snort drugs or when you eat them, they put, you put them on their tongue or you, um, or you smoke them. And uh, anyway, what happened with me was I continued to really become very dependent on alcohol at the same time. And when I was aged, just about coming up to 24, uh, I couldn't get out of bed. I'd been drinking solidly for three weeks and I'd been using all sorts of other drugs. And I just couldn't get out of bed and I was a bit yellow. And when I went to the loo, it was red-brown. And... Um, I, could, I, I just thought something was very wrong. And, and I'd started being sick in the mornings. I was never sick at night. But in the mornings after the damage was done, I'd be throwing up, dry gawking, we used to call it, because nothing came out. And, um, and then, after this three-week bender, I, I woke up, and I really couldn't get out of bed. And I was a bit worried, because it wasn't normal. And uh, it took me three days to properly get out of bed. And at the end of the three days, I went to the doctor, and he ran a series of tests... And it came back that my liver was shot, basically. And um, that he said, you're 24 now and you won't reach your 25th birthday if you carry on doing what you're doing, drinking, using drugs, especially drinking. And, uh, but because I was very paranoid, because the drugs I was taking was making me suspicious of people, I thought that the doctor was lying to me and trying to spoil my fun. So I carried on regardless. Uh, but I became increasingly ill and I had to stop the drugs first of all and then I stopped the alcohol but then as soon as I started getting a bit better because your liver can regenerate quite quickly after about two months this was a year between 24 and 25 he told me I wouldn't reach my 25th birthday obviously I did because I don't look well I do look 25 do I? 27 thank you thank you so I made it two years later anyway. And uh, what happened was, um, I went through this cycle where I'd, start, I'd stop everything, I'd start feeling better, and after a couple of months, I'd feel okay, so I'd start drinking again. I'd, I'd stop the drugs. And uh, then I'd get ill after two weeks, take me two weeks to get off it again, and I'd become ill again. And then, again, I'd wait until I was better, then I went back onto it again. There's about four 
four or five times that year while I relapsed. And it wouldn't be just one night, it would be a couple of weeks, then I'd be ill, and then back again. But the strange thing happened that I'd become, I also got mentally ill because of some of the drugs I was using. And so I, I became a bit of a recluse. I locked myself away in my bed sit. Uh, my brother, who was my best friend, uh, who was also into all that, had left to go to another area in Moseley, uh, in Birmingham, to uh, carry on his career with some other people. And um, I'd gone a, a little bit depressed and a bit loopy. And so I used to just come home. I always kept going to work. I don't know how I did it, but I just wanted to get some money behind me. And then I'd go home and just stare at the wall. Uh, I couldn't really concentrate on telly. And then I'd go to bed, I'd get up, come home, stare at the wall. Sounds like a very interesting existence, doesn't it? Um, And then one day, uh, there was a film on called Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, I'd sworn to my dad, who was a Christian, that I would never, when I was 17, I was forced to go to church until I was 17, and I'd sworn to my dad, as soon as I was 17 and I was released, that I would never darken the doors of a church again. And I, I believed that, I wasn't going to. So God got to me through this video. And I was watching in the bedsit this video. And uh, it was Robert Powell, Jesus of Nazareth, years ago. But I suddenly lost sight of Robert Powell. And it was actually what God was saying through the words that Jesus says in the Bible. Uh, started to speak to me. And uh, I felt very uncomfortable. And I was dead inside, so I never cried. It was like there was a stone inside. I never felt anything except anger. And uh, I started to cry like a baby. I thought, this is really weird, because, you know, I just don't do that. I don't know how to cry, really. And uh, I had to stop it, because it was uncomfortable. And uh, I was only on my own. But then something just kept pushing me to press that play button a couple of days later, and then again, and then again, until I'd watched it all. And what came clear to me was, I wasn't sure exactly what was happening, but God was, or somebody was, uh, speaking powerfully into my life, saying, yes, you're a loser, yes, you've blown everything, yes, you've got no money, you matched your credit cards up, yes, you've gone from one girlfriend to another, you can't hold down a relationship, you're a complete and utter waster, but I've got a plan for you. And I can uh, change you around, wipe all that guilt away, wipe all that bitterness and that anger away, and I can come into your life and give you a proper life. I can give you a clean state, you can slate, you can start again. I can forgive you for all this stuff. And I did that by dying on the cross, which is what our friend Jai just said on there. And, uh, and it was Jesus that was saying that to me. Anyway, because of my background, I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, an alarm bell started ringing. And uh, no other Christian had anything to do with me at this point in time. And uh, so I started running the opposite way. I thought, I'm not having that, because that means I'll have to go to church, I'll have to pray, my dad will be right, I'm not doing that. Uh, And although I can't really sin in a big, big way anymore, like uh, getting wasted or anything like that, or or stealing from work, or, or getting in debt, I really don't want to go back there, I hated all that. But God had something more special involved. It wasn't religion, it was relationship. And so he just wouldn't let me go. And he just kept pulling me back, pulling me back. And I was fighting him like mad. And, he, he, and after a few weeks, um, I came to a crossroads. And he had so showed himself to me, and the truth of what I'd heard on the telly, which was in the Bible, and the truth of what Jesus had done for me, taking all my filth upon himself, my moral filth, and paying the price for me, and taking the punishment for me, that I came to the point where it was almost like God had 
I was drowning in a lake. I couldn't swim. And God had thrown a rubber ring or a life belt into the pool and he'd said, grab hold of that and I'll save you or just drown in your own secretions of your life. And uh, it, was as, it was as clear as that. And I said, well, that would be a silly uh, alternative. So I'll grab the life belt. And I grabbed that life belt and that was Christ. And uh, I remember just when I came to him, I still remember the prayer 23 years ago now. God's given me 23 extra years that I shouldn't have had. And uh, he said, uh, I said, Jesus, I know now this is the truth. What you did for me was true. And I know that you can save me. And I know that you can give me a new life and forgive me my sin. But I still don't want to come. I am very unwilling to come. Make me willing. I've got no choice. I'll just trust you. And when, when he trusted me, oh, when he trusted me, that's the last thing he did. When, when I trusted him, I tell you from that moment on my life changed. It was incredible. Um, I was very, very different. I was always the ringleader, the king lad and everything. I walked into work the next day. And by lunchtime they said, what's happened to you? What on earth is going on with you? You haven't sworn, you haven't told a dirty joke, you haven't stirred things up at work, you haven't done this, you haven't done that. What's wrong with you? And I said, well, all I know is that Jesus has come into my life and that's all I did really know. And they said, oh, give him six, seven months. It's one of his new lease, one of his new fangled ideas, trying to improve himself. That was 23 years ago. Uh, and I'm still trusting Jesus, all the more in fact, and my life has never been better. It's been very tough. My life has been tougher in the first eight years of becoming a Christian than it ever was when I was doing all that. Uh, but I know that God's a faithful friend and he'll get, get me through everything. And the more he gets you through, the more you know he's going to get you through. And it keeps going. But I am a very, very different person. Um, I've got my life back and it is eternal life as well. So... I'm utterly thankful to God and to Jesus for doing all that they did for me. And he can do the same for you if you haven't trusted him yet. Well, thanks for inviting me anyway, because it's great to be among you again. I think you've got bigger since I, I last saw you, so praise God for that. Um, I want to talk about God's power a bit more. He had a little inkling of it then in my life, but it's much bigger than my life. He's much bigger than my life. In fact, I'm just a little speck of dust compared to the, what he does in the grand scheme of things. But I want to talk about God's power. And I've called it uh, power to the people. That's you and me. God's power to the people. A, an agnostic. Does anyone know what an agnostic is? I ask questions. I don't just go on and on. Does anyone know what an agnostic is? There's mutterings, that means someone knows. Yeah, they don't know. An agnostic doesn't know whether there's a God or whether there isn't a God. They just don't know. But a Gnostic is one who knows. And there was a group called Gnostics who came into this church that the Bible Paul is writing to and uh, they thought they knew everything all about God. They thought they knew about God and the way to get to know God even better was through them. But they also thought that they had the fullness of God's power. They thought that they were a hotline through which you could go to get God's power. So they looked at Christians like you and me and they said, well, you're kind of halfway there but you need a bit of oomph. You need power from God and you're not going to get it from Paul who's the person who's preached all this to you, you're going to get it from us. 
but that was rubbish. But one thing they were right about was that there's no way anybody can live this Christian life and live to please Jesus and grow in your knowledge of God each and every day, not head knowledge, heart knowledge, without having the power and the strength and the endurance and the patience to keep going. Not one single person here can do that without God's power. It's an impossible life to live otherwise. When you turn over a new leaf without Christ, you're usually turning it back again. You usually go back on it. New Year's resolutions are, are the thing, aren't they? Uh, where, and Easter as well. See, I try and give up chocolate. What happens? Easter. It's impossible, isn't it? But with God's power, I could give up chocolate. But it's not a big sin, is it? It's not really a sin, although it does give me a belly. And I could go on about chocolate for ages, but I'm not going to, because we're going to talk about God's power. What does God's power look like then? What does it really look like? Now you might think this is boring because what I'm going to tell you is what it looks like is this. It looks like endurance and patience. Well, that's a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? I've built it up. It's not an anticlimax and I'll tell you why. Let me just read verse 11. Being strengthened with all power from Colossians 1 with all power according to his glorious might, that you may have great endurance and patience. Now the word glorious might, written down here, means his might, God's might that is observable. You can see it with your own eyes. It's tangible. You can almost reach out and touch it. How is this seen? It's seen in your endurance and your patience in everyday life. So when others fall by the wayside, you don't. Why? Because of God's glorious might in your life. When others' patients reach their shelf life, yours doesn't. Why? Because of God's glorious might in your life. And especially under the most testing of circumstances, the most difficult times. You see, God's power, God is about reality and everyday living. And his power hits your everyday life as you walk through this life. And it enables you not only to face everything that this life throws at you, but also to be patient along the way. And the good thing about this is, if you want to live for God, it's not optional, this power, but it is essential. You cannot have supernatural power in your daily life without being given supernatural power. And God's power is not natural, but supernatural. When all your natural strength and energy runs out, his takes over. And this power is particularly evident in the midst of suffering, of opposition, when people hate you or are opposed to you. When you have a horrible shock or there's huge disappointments, there's crushed hopes, there's huge loss in your life. But not only that, this power can enable you not only to be despondent or despairing about it, not to be rather, but to keep going with joy and even thanks. We read in verse 12, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Now that is very unnatural. Who do you know that not only goes through all and every difficulty, 
but does it with joy and thanks to God. There aren't many, are there? No one can actually do that without supernatural help. But if you do do that, suddenly that person is noticed. Questions are asked. Because it's such an unnatural and unusual response. So we're tempted to say when we see people react to difficult times like that, that, well, they're super saints. They're really godly and I'm not. And that's really just for them. But it's not. It's for all Christians. It's open to all and it must be shown in all. It's the only way you and I keep going as a Christian through this hostile world. And let me tell you a bit more about God's glorious might, his power. Just from examples from the Bible. God's glorious might is the reason why Job was still alive after losing his health, his wealth and all his children in an instant. Ten of them. It's the reason why he would not even consider the option that his wife gave him of cursing God and topping himself. It's the reason why David was continued to be able to trust and love God even after his child was taken away by God's judgment for his adultery. And still he's able to trust that God. It's even the reason why the eternal Christ could allow himself to die at the hands of wicked, puny human beings. The creator at the mercy of these little specks of dust. He himself declares, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. He had power, God's power, to exactly decide when he died and when he rose. But more amazing, this same power, God's glorious might, was demonstrated when resurrection power descended upon the stone-cold corpse of Jesus Christ three days after his death, brought him back to life so that he might live forever. And that same power, after raising him, snatched him up to heaven and seated him on the throne of supreme universal power where he is right now. But I think there's even more amazing than that. Is that the most incredible thing is that that very power of which can never be surpassed is the very same power that God longs to demonstrate in your daily life and mine. That kind of power. Let me read you Ephesians 1 verse 19. God's incomparably Great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now, you look at your little life and I look at my little life and realise that that power is available to you and to me. It's available when you're fearful, when you're very, very angry, when you are intrinsically selfish and self-indulgent. It's available if you're addicted to something. 
It is available for bad attitudes and a kind of lack of forgiveness towards somebody who's upset you. It is available to stop you self-harming in, in all sorts of forms. It is available to every single person that trusts Christ. And it's there not when all's good, but when everything is absolutely dire and bad and everything and everyone appears to be against you. And sometimes you might even believe that God himself has got it in for you. It's still there then. It's the power to keep going when it seems like God himself is trying to slay you. To do you in. That's not the truth, but that's what you think sometimes. It's the power as Job was still able to declare after he'd lost everything. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You see, I don't get this, but somehow God knows what he's doing. I can't see beyond the now. I can't see what's going to happen, but he can, and that's enough. And his promises are enough, and his character to trust in is enough, because they will get me through something I just can't see a way forward through the old hymn says this though dark be my way since he is my guide tis mine to obey tis his to provide though systems be broken and creatures all fail the word he has spoken shall surely prevail my dad who I ended up being quite close to in the last few years of his life died Christmas day a few months ago and in his last few days, this is what, this was the hymn he kept quoting. His love in time past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer, that means, so far the Lord has always helped me. I have in review, that means, that's what I'm thinking about. Confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through. God's power looks like endurance and patience. It also looks like this. Joyful thanks in dire circumstances. Now let's just take a breather here and think for a second. I might get through difficult situations with God's power, you might be thinking. Okay, I can. But it is far too much to ask me to do it with joyful thanks to the Father. That you are having a laugh. How do you expect me to do that? I'm not doing it. But it really depends on where you look. It depends on your focus. It depends on whether you're going to focus on what's going on inside of you or you're going to focus on what God's power has done for you and will do for you. And the first thing God did for you was, if you're a Christian, he took you from darkness to light. Verse 12 of chapter 1 of Colossians says, He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. By the way, the saints aren't St. Peter and St. Joseph and all that. They're everyone that trusts Jesus. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, thanks to Jai, not, not thanks to Jai for redemption. 
That would be a sad state, wouldn't it? Whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the first thing Paul says, and we're not far off finishing, so don't worry, is that he has, God has, qualified us to go to the kingdom of light. You see, when you become a Christian, all the conditions that have to be met to become a member of God's family are met in Jesus. You are unconditionally accepted by God, warts and all, because of the work of Jesus. You are forgiven. And along with this word forgiveness comes, means that God not only takes away your sin, but he then adds Jesus' perfect righteousness, his perfect uh, goodness, his perfect um, life to you. You're not perfect, you haven't got a perfect life, but Jesus cloaks you with it, if you like. His perfect life. So you're wearing, if you like, God's perfect life. And you know what that means? When God forgives you, it doesn't mean just that God can remember your sins no more. He chooses not to remember your sins anymore. But actually, there aren't any. When you come to Christ, as far as he's concerned, not only aren't there any sins, there never were. Now get that. That's amazing. And I'll tell you why. Because when you're wearing Christ's perfect life, did he have a sinful past? No. You're wearing his life. As far as God's concerned, you didn't have a sinful past. It doesn't exist anymore. And these Gnostics, these people who thought they knew, looked at the other Christians, say if they were in our church, they'd look at you and they'd say, well, you're not really quite there yet, you're not in the kingdom of light yet, or you're kind of halfway. We know, we're in the kingdom of light, we know all about it. And no, says Paul. He says that if you trust Christ, your future inheritance has already been taken care of. If you remember in the Old Testament, there's that, it's not that the Bible's boring, but you could think that this bit, particular bit in the Bible was boring, where they come into the promised land and uh, they start dividing up all the different uh, bits of land for the different tribes of Israel. And that's fair enough, isn't it? But we weren't there and so we think, I'm going to skip this bit, I'm going to get to an interesting bit. We shouldn't really do that, I'll tell you why, because... When we get to the Levites, they didn't get known. They didn't get any lands or field or anything. Why was that? It's not fair. Because the Lord was their inheritance. You know what? I live in a house, just moved house, a bigger house even a better area than I did before. I don't care. I could have lived in Trent Vale, in Stoke-on-Trent, it was a bit rough, the rest of my life and I wouldn't care. I was like a pig wallowing in muck. I loved it. It was only because of schools we had to move. But anyway, that's not the point, is it? And it's ironic because my son got a place in a school in the area that we just left. So the joke's on me. But my inheritance is not bricks and mortar or money in the bank or a good wife and kids, even though I've got those. I haven't got money in the bank. 
My inheritance is the Lord Jesus Christ and that's all that matters. I could live in a tent, in a field and I could still be happy because he is my inheritance. Now Bill Gates is one of the richest men in the world, isn't he? If he came into this church and he offered you a million pounds but he said, you can have this and he got it in the briefcase like in the films and it was all in the nice little things, unmarked bills, whatever that means. And uh, gas and electric bills, probably. And, <laughs> which you don't want. Anyway, he came in with a million in cash, in his case, and he said, I don't like churches, I don't particularly like you, and I hate the fact that you trust Christ. Here's the money. You can have it now. Put it in your account. Do what you want with it. As long as you never trust Christ again, you never live again for him, and you never mention his name unless you blaspheme. Take the money. Now I can tell you that any true Christian that is already in relationship with Jesus Christ wouldn't even consider it for a split second. My boot would be up Bill Gates' backside and everybody else would be hopping along with their boots trying to get a kick in as he went out the door. And then we preach the gospel to him outside. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway. That's how good Jesus is. Once you've got him, you don't want nothing else. Not like that anyway. You really don't. You just want what he gives you. That is your inheritance. He is your inheritance. And as soon as you believe, just at that moment, God says you become a citizen of heaven. You need to receive that. You need to realise who you are in Christ. That's half the fact of how you can access his power when you realise what's happened in your own life and how you have every right to that power through grace. And then we read that God's power has delivered us and rescued us. You see, forgiveness is not just your slate wiped clean. Forgiveness includes in this passage that you have uh, redemption, the forgiveness of sins, that you have been transferred from a kingdom into the kingdom of God's Son. And that is an entirely different regime, just like the regime in England is different from Gaddafi's regime. You know, and the kingdom of darkness, a kind of Gaddafi regime, held you in slavery to being self-centred, to not want God in your life, and as we heard earlier, caused you to be enslaved to doing wrong. And whatever way you tried to get out of it, you found yourself doing the same thing again and again. But now, when you trusted Christ, he brought you into the kingdom of life where God's power enables you to overcome doing those things in the old kingdom. He delivered you from guilt. He delivered you from the penalty of sin. He delivered, uh, he, he delivered you from the power of sin that used to addict you, dictate to you, and tell you what you would do each and every day. And all that was under the rule, the cruel rule of the devil. You were under his power. You might laugh, you might think, oh, the devil, that's the guy with the pitched fork and the, the tail and the cloven hooves. No, 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 that's the very clever guy who enters into your thoughts and manipulates you in a way, and you believe his lies and you go ahead and do what he wants. And you don't even believe he exists. You were under his power, but God's glorious power now has broken those chains and switched you to the kingdom of freedom, serving the king of freedom. 
Because God's forgiveness in Christ includes the breaking of sin's power. Would God forgive your past and then send you back to being capable of living the new life God has given you? He doesn't do that, does he? We know he doesn't do that. You are free because your sins have been forgiven. And that power to overcome sin can now no longer be taken away. God never tells you to do anything that he can't enable you to do. This is what we say, uh, what Paul says in verse 28. We proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present anyone, everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So this is my last point now, what I want to talk about. There is no such word as can't for a true Christian. Because for every can't, God says can. So you and I as Christians should never say, I just can't help it, that's the way I am. Why can't you accept me the way I am? It's not fair. It just came over me. It wasn't my fault. It was his fault over there anyway. Now our society that we live in has helped us a lot in making excuses. Because they've tried to relabel what the Bible calls sin so that it will be minimised. Prisons are now more for rehabilitation than they are for punishment. should be both, of course, but the emphasis now is on rehabilitation. <coughs> I was listening to uh, Five Live. Does anybody listen to that? Five Live. Sports fans. Ian does, anyway. And uh, it annoys me, though, when the Grand Prix's on or the golf's on. I mean, why? But when the football's on, that's different. And uh, we're listening to Five Live, and they were talking about alcoholism. My ears pricked up and I thought, oh, that's my favourite subject, alcoholism. And there was an alcoholic talking to Victoria Derbyshire on the Five Live morning show. I get a lot of my ideas from that show. And it sounds like it does as well. <laughs> and uh, while this alcoholic was on air, she asked her partner to get her a beer. So you hear her open the tin psst, and guzzle it down. And then she feels really bad, so she apologises to Victoria and asks if she should leave the discussion on the phone. And Victoria says, no, 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 of course not, it's an illness, it's an illness. Don't leave the discussion, it's not your fault. Most people don't choose to have an illness, the alcoholic chooses to drink. Those that are ill go to the doctor and get it treated so they can become well again. The alcoholic is told he has an illness, but unlike having an illness, he refuses to get help. Let me put this to you in no, in no uncertain terms. If I continued in my alcoholism, and suddenly we fast forward and the judgment comes, and I'm standing before the Lord, and he asked me, he said, why didn't you stop drinking? You had the chance. People offered you help, or you could have got help. Why didn't you stop drinking? And I said, it was an illness. Victoria Derbyshire said it was an illness. I couldn't do anything about it. I was sick. And God says, well, you should have come to me. And you should have gone to all the people that said they'd help you. Sin is sin. Stop dressing it up. Stop relabeling it. Here's what God says about the matter. 
Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. It's a deception, see. Neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes or homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But here's the hope. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, that means set apart to live a new life. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, the Bible says it different. It gives hope to people like that. If you have a problem with sexual immorality, our world says you're a sex addict. So carry on, you're addicted and you can't do anything about it. If you commit adultery, people say, I just didn't mean it to happen, I'm not hurting anyone. You are hurting a lot of people, but never that you're hurting yourself as well. If you're a practicing gay, it's, I was born this way, it's not really my fault, or I defend my right to choose. And if you're a drunk, it's a disease. But God says, carry on like that, and you won't inherit the kingdom of God. There needs to be a big key change in the side. But when God gets his hand on you and decides that you are his... You are forgiven, cleansed, delivered, and set free. So if you're a true Christian here this morning, you must not say can't when God says you can. And he gives you the power to do it. The Bible says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You're a different being. You've been created from the inside out. Let me ask you, are you still binge drinking if that's you? Are you still getting drunk? Are you looking at porn? Nobody knows. You know what they did a survey in America of pastors? 50% of them look at internet porn because they're always on the computer. It's an anonymous survey. Are you stealing from work sometimes? Maybe not money, but in terms of time, in terms of paper, in terms of whatever. Do you find yourself getting disproportionately angry, sometimes uncontrollably angry, and you blame it on your past, or you blame it on your wife, or your husband, or your kids, or your work, or whatever your circumstances are? Now, all of those are contributory factors. Of course they are. God isn't uncompassionate but none of them are an acceptable excuse when you can overcome in Christ and sometimes you need to get help for these things in fact you should get help for these things but with help and with his power no matter how long it takes Christ will take you to that place of victory you and I need to stop copping out sometimes and stop underestimating God's power because that's what we do in our everyday lives You see, God can save you not only from your sins and everything else, but as you continue, he can save you from life-controlling habits. Or maybe there's just something in your life that isn't right, but you like it too much. So you ain't going to use God's power to address it. That insults God, because he has all the resources to help you. The first time I realised I had a problem with booze was when someone asked me, ask this to yourself about whatever it is that you might be having an issue with, right? It doesn't have to be booze. 
but this was for me. I was t- Someone asked me, if you were told you could never take a drink again, would it bother you? And I was saying, oh, no, 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 it wouldn't bother me. And inside, my body was screaming, saying, yes, of course it would bother me. I'd become a boring so-and-so. I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd never, in- my life would be over. I wouldn't enjoy my life anymore. There'd be no point to life anymore. And that was such a lie, because I have been freer, more happy, more confident, more content, less guilty, more healthy, more stable, better off financially, had good relationships in my life, and more to the point I'm still alive, because God showed me all that was a lie. Whatever it is in your life, you can do it. You see, God says... A challenge. I like a challenge. And you might say, a challenge. Don't like that. You look at your situation, you think, impossible. I've been there before, failed. God says, all things are possible with me. Kick old habits, old ways of thinking. Learn new godly ways of thinking learn to make yourself think God's thoughts after him let him renew your mind it is all I can and yes in Christ 